The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. But our text today is from Luke 7. Luke 7, verses 1 to 17. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sealed his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He's worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of God. Amen. So today we're going to ask two very important questions. Two very important questions. First question is, what does this passage teach us about Jesus? About who he is? And how are we to respond to him? Who is Jesus and how are we to respond to him? We have been going through the book of Luke and... um, We just finished a sermon that Jesus preached, and that sermon was sandwiched between two miracle episodes, okay? Um, The first miracle episode, sorry, so the way that Luke writes this passage is miracle, teaching of Jesus, miracle, back to teaching of Jesus to miracle, back to teaching of Jesus to miracle, and it's to emphasize the importance of Jesus' message, It's to emphasize the importance of Jesus' message. Listen up is what Luke is saying. Look at the power he has that no one else has been doing, but pay attention to what he's teaching. And that's how Luke is writing this, and he's doing it very carefully. I just want to take a quick look at the miracle episode before we look at ours today. Um, This one is in chapter 6, verse 17. In chapter 6, verse 17 of Luke. And Luke writes it like this, look. 
And he came down with them, that's Jesus, and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and healed them all. A couple of things I just want to mention. Luke writes this in a far perspective. Okay? He gives us categories or he gives us groups of people, right? He says things like a great crowd of disciples, a great multitude, a group of diseased people or people who had unclean spirits. Jesus healed them all. Everyone tried to touch him. There's no uh, name, place, dialogue. It's just look at this miraculous Lord Jesus and what he's doing. Then Luke tells us this sermon, and then he gives us two miracle stories with close perspective. Close perspective. He tells you where these miracles took place. He tells you about the dialogue, who was involved in these miracles, so that if you were curious and living in this time, you can go to, to those towns, look for somebody who's older. And say, did this story really happen about Jesus? And they would say, yeah. Which would prove Luke's point. In this whole book, he writes these things so that you would have certainty about the things you have been taught. This is for certain. This is historical. I want you to notice also that people was flocking and flocking to Jesus. They wanted to be near him because he could heal them. Okay, so from these two stories, I want to establish a couple of things in our minds. Number one, Jesus is the Lord who is powerful and compassionate. So this is answering our question today. Who's Jesus? He is the Lord who is powerful and compassionate. And then our response should be that we should come to him with humble faith and glorify him with our hearts and with our mouth. Okay, so let's go to our first story. So verse 1, after he had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And so this town, Jesus comes into it, and we're already faced with a problem. We already have a problem right off the bat. Uh, Verse 2, now a centurion had a servant or a slave, I'm going to use the term slave, it's doulas, who was sick. And at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. So we have a sick slave, okay, of a centurion. And he's at the point of death. And Matthew gives us a little bit more details about the kind of suffering this man is going through. He is paralyzed at home. He's unable to move. And he's suffering terribly. So he's a slave. We're not giving much more about the slave except for that and that he was highly valued by the centurion. The centurion loved his slave. I want us to to consider the slave a little bit more. He he has nothing to offer to Jesus, right? He's a slave. He can't get up and go to Jesus. He's, He's paralyzed. He's stuck at home. He's suffering terribly. He is... um. He is at the point of death. He's helpless and he is hopeless. 
If he, even if he wanted to, if Jesus was to heal him and he wanted to go and say, Jesus, I want to be your slave because you saved my life, he can't. Because he belongs to another master. Now, when Jesus is in town, the word about him travels fast, and it reaches the ear of the centurion, okay? And so, verse 3, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Real quick, a centurion is a Roman officer in charge of 100 soldiers, okay? He's an officer in charge of 100 soldiers. He was a man of authority, and he was also under authority. So if he gave people orders to do, they would go and do it. If he was given orders to do, he would obey it. He was also respected. He had status. He had money. And he was well spoken of. But in this verse, we see a, a glimpse right here in verse 3 of the kind of humble faith. The way that Luke is writing this, as soon as he heard about Jesus... He knows that the only hope the servant has to be healed is Jesus, and so he sent elders of the Jews to Jesus. He was fast acting. I would like to point out also that somebody told the centurion about Jesus. Somebody told this, this man, this officer, this well-spoken of man who, um, who had a lot of authority. Somebody went to him and told him about Jesus. We can learn from that. We can learn. I want to... Um, Talk about something else. Another reason why he sent elders of the Jews instead of going himself is that at the time there was animosity between the Jews and Gentiles. They, uh, they didn't get along too much. They didn't go to someone's house. They didn't visit each other. Um, they interacted, you know, if it was in this kind of context, but usually the Jews and Gentiles want to separate each other. So he sent elders to him. I want you to look at Acts chapter 10, verse 28. I know we have a slide up. Of the kind of mindset that the Jews had about the Gentiles. This is Peter now talking to Cornelius. This is what he tells Cornelius when he went to his home. He goes, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So that's why he sent um, the elders of the Jews. He's like, okay, maybe I can't get to him. Maybe he's not going to look at me. Maybe he's not going to come my way and save my slave. So I'm going to send elders of the Jews. Maybe, you know, don't go talk to him. Verse 4. The elders came to Jesus and pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. They came with, to Jesus with this works righteousness reason. He's done so much good things, Lord. Come on, he is worthy for you to do his request. And then I just want to take a pause here. How many times in prayer, when we go to Jesus to pray, do we come with this mindset? I do it all the time. Lord, look what I've done for you. Look, what I, look how I had victory over this sin. Look at, all the, all, like, look at all the people I told about you. Look how, I'm, look how I'm participating at church. Look how much money I give. 
Look how much I read your word. So I'm trying to emphasize this because it's a works righteousness that I'm coming to Jesus. Because I've done all these things, Lord, now I'm worthy to have you do this gift for me. This is not the right way to come to Jesus. Because if we were to come to him on the basis of works, he requires perfection. So am I ever good enough? No. No. But what about delaying to come to him? That there's sin. Oh, I can't go to Jesus. He's not going to listen to me. He's not going to forgive me. The Bible says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't stay away from him. Come to him. He will accept you. He will take you. That's just a side note. <laughs> so that's how the elders of the Jews came to Jesus. Now, I want, this is where I see Jesus' compassion in this, in this story. Verse 6. What does it say? And Jesus went with them. So they came talking to Jesus. Jesus, please do this. Uh, he's worthy for you to do this. He loves our nation. He built us our synagogue. This is where we worship. Could you please do this for him? And Jesus went with them. This should be surprising to us, that Jesus being a Jew was going to a Gentile's home to heal his sick slave. There was no protest from Jesus. There was no second thought. No debate, no question of whether or not he should do it. I believe his compassion for this slave who can offer nothing to Jesus in return drove him to go and heal him. I love this because in the previous story, everyone was trying to go and touch Jesus. Oh, if I touch Jesus, he's going to heal me. Oh, if I just get through the crowd and I get to him, he's going to heal me because power gets out from him. And here we see Jesus making his way towards the slave. It's compassion. It's compassion. When he got close to the house, there was another group that came to Jesus with another message. This group were the friends of the centurion, which had a different message to give. So the centurion almost wanted to correct the view of himself. You went to Jesus and told him what? So let me send you the true message. What does the centurion say? He says... In verse um, 6, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. So humble. I have money, I have status, I have this, I have that. He, did, he, wasn't, punch, he wasn't prideful at all here. Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy for you to come underneath my roof. Lord, He knew who he was talking to. He knew that Jesus possessed this kind of power, and he addresses him, Lord. Lord. This is the exact opposite of what the elders of the Jews told Jesus. Let us learn from the centurion. Let us acknowledge that Jesus has this power, but then let's not go to him with 
pride. Look at my status. Look at my history. Look at who I am. Come to him with humble faith. Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come underneath my roof. And then he says, but say the word. Say the word and let my servant be healed. Just say it. I couldn't help but think how much little power I have for my two-year-old son. I mean, I can talk to him all the time. Eli, please pick up your toys. Eli, go over here. Eli, don't do that. Eli, get down from there. I'll have to repeat it many, 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 many times before it, before it, it comes real for him. Or what, what about when I'm sick? If I'm sick, I'm in bed for a couple of days. I'm trying so hard to get out of my sickness, and I can't, and it's hard. The centurion believed that Jesus has incredible power in just his word. His word is able to stop death from dragging this slave to death. Death got a hold of this slave, and he's dragging him to the doorstep of death. The centurion said, if you just say the word, not only will, will he stop dying, but he's going to be made well. He believed this about Jesus. He believed this about Jesus. And the way he proves that he believes this about Jesus is he compares Jesus' power to his authority to his power and authority. Hey, if I tell a soldier to go, he goes. If I tell him to come, he comes. And if I tell my slave who is now sick to do this, he would do it. So I know what it means to have authority, and I believe that you have this kind of authority which will stop death and revive my slave, to heal him all the way up and to restore him. You have authority over life itself, is what the centurion is saying. And verse 9 is one of the most interesting verses of the Bible, I think. It says that Jesus marveled at him. You mean Jesus, the creator of the universe, was amazed by someone's faith? Yeah. But you mean Jesus, who did all these miracles and cast out demons, he feeds 5,000 people, he walks on water, is amazed, he's shook, he's marveling. There was, this word marvel is so amazing because the other times it's used, it's usually negative. Jesus marveled at them. Where's your faith? And the people marveled at Jesus. They were, how can you do this? Who are you, Lord? But here we have Jesus marveling at this centurion's faith. Jesus So here's a person not from the group of gods. By admitting that his word has authority over life itself and acts upon it with humility and faith, asking Jesus to do what is impossible by human standards. Jesus' own people did not receive him, John writes. Jesus loves, I mean, look what he does. So he's marveling, and then what does he do? He turns to the crowd. And he said to them what? 
I tell you, this is verse 9, end of verse 9, right before 10, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Wow. Wow. By the way, Jesus always loves to point out faith when he sees it, but he also points out lack of faith when he doesn't see it. He loves faith. He's, he's amazed by it. If somebody has this humble faith of the centurion, he marvels at it. The people who took pride in their faith, Israel, their father was Abraham. Abraham is pictured to be the man of faith in the Bible. But they were outweighed in faith by someone who does not have the history of God they did. This, this Roman guy, he didn't have all the stories of God and Moses and what he did, all the, the power of God and everything he's going to do, all the prophecies and stuff. He heard a testimony. Someone told him about Jesus. It says when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the Jews. And here's the power. When the messengers went back to the house, they found the servant well. Luke makes sure to mention the evidence of the miracle. He went and fact-checked. So Jesus said this, and the servants went away. But did it happen? Did Jesus actually heal the slave from a distance without touching him? Did it happen? Yes, and Luke makes sure to write it. So now if you were living in that time and you wanted to go check, you would go and ask people and you would find out, yeah, Luke was very careful about making sure to add that detail. Jesus does have the power. We saw Jesus' compassion by his willingness to go to this Gentile's house and heal his sick slave who is, can't offer anything to Jesus, who is unable to do anything. He's at the point of death. We saw Jesus' authority in all of life and the power of his words by healing the sick slave from a distance, right? I mean, would you call that power or would you call it something else? I would call it power. And we, and we also saw the humble faith of the centurion and how he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus with humble faith. We ought to come to Jesus with humble faith. We can learn from the centurion. Now, Luke tells us what happens the next day. Jesus does good every day. <clears throat> Nain is about 30 miles south of Capernaum. It's a 10-hour and 16-minute walk. <laughs> I used Google Maps for that. <laughs> I wanted to know. And on the way there, I mean, that's 10 hours and 16 minutes walking with no stopping. And it's just like you keep going. And a great crowd, like usual, was following Jesus on this walk. Okay? That's verse 11. When he got near the city, there was a funeral already in progress. And it was actually nearing the end of the funeral. Because it was unclean to have a dead body in the town. So what they were doing is they were carrying the dead body out of the city to go bury it um, out there. So Jesus comes, and when he, it says when he reached the gate, he saw this progression of people walking, this dead body. 
And it's, so let's look at this real quick. Verse 12, I like how Luke writes it. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, pay attention, listen up, focus in on, behold. I mean, how much more can the Bible, like if it could talk, it would scream at you, listen to this part. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of, a mo- of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd was with, uh, from the town was with her. When we think of a funeral, it's easy to think of its ending. It's easy to be like, okay, the funeral is happening. It's so sad, and it is. And it's going, they're putting the body away, and that's going to be the end of it. Now we're in mourning. I mean, that's usually what we think about. But Luke, as he's writing this, he wants us to pay attention. Look at the details here. Listen. Notice the person that everything is about. This whole scene is about one person. So the, the, the boys identified to the mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So it's this widow. This whole crowd is walking. Jesus' crowd is coming. There's a bunch of people around. There's a funeral going on. And Luke points out this widow. Widow. She has no more husband. Her husband died. She was a woman. So in this social context, you were identified with your husband. You were identified with the males that you were with. She was was a woman. We're going to consider her now like we did with the slave and centurion. So she's a woman. And she was identified with, like, the wife of, the wife of, the mother of, right? She is a widow, so she lost her husband, her primary source for survival, and even a place within the community. Her titles reduced down to widow. And now she's reliant on her child to survive, her male child. Luke makes sure to write, she has only one child. So she lost her husband, she has one child, and her situation is really, 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 really hard right now. The funeral is for her only child. So she lost her husband, and she lost her child. She has nothing. She has nothing. She's hopeless. She is helpless. She's thinking, how am I going to survive now? I'm going to have to beg for food. I'm not going to be invited to things. I'm not going to be part of the community. You know, it's like this curse from God fell upon me. My husband's gone. My, my child is gone. And she is broken. It's devastating. I mean, just trying to consider this. I was trying to put myself in her shoes, and it was so hard for me. I had to stop. I had to stop. I had to pray for my wife. I had to pray for my kids because trying to put myself in her position, she lost her spouse. And then the child who has these, like I can see Melissa and my child sometimes. 
I can see her in my child sometimes. And that was taken away too. There was no Facebook where she can go back and look at memories. This was not a daydream for her where she can just snap out of it. Oh, okay, that was a bad dream. That was weird. This is her reality. She is crushed. She is weeping. People around her are crying. They're mourning for her. They're feeling with her. And the body is being carried across from her and away from her. And here's the compassion of the Lord Jesus in this story. Luke writes, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Who saw her? The Lord saw her. This is, Luke is changing how he's referring to Jesus here. In the previous story, it was Jesus went with them. In this story, the Lord saw her. And it's very important, I think. And another thing that came to me, it's like it's a scary thought when somebody is in sin and you say, God is watching you. <laughs> the wrath of God is about to be poured out on you. That's not the same look that Jesus had on her. This look, there was compassion behind his gaze. The Lord saw her in her deepest, bitter, agonizing pain. And Jesus, the Lord, has compassion on her. I don't believe she cared that Jesus was there. I don't think she even recognized if Jesus was there. I don't think that she cared how many people showed up to the funeral or not. I don't think she cares about that. I don't care that there was visit. I'm just trying to put myself in her position. She's weeping bitterly. She's crying. Everyone get away from me. Like That's the kind of I, I'm, what I'm seeing here. She doesn't know that Jesus is there. She's accepted the end of her son, and she is mourning. It was as if a soft voice from Jesus, like almost as if he put his hand on her. Do not weep. If, if a human being said that to you at a funeral, you should kick that person out and never talk to them again. <laughs> if a person that cannot change the outcome of the situation tells you, oh, you shouldn't be sad about that, get away from that person. They don't have no idea. They're not feeling with you. And no one in their right mind would, right? If you see someone crying in mourning, you, you won't just, oh, hey, don't cry. You just lost your child and everything. Yeah, your, your doom is near. Yeah, don't cry about that. Don't weep. I mean, come on. It's rude. Jesus saw her and had compassion on her. Jesus had a feeling, this is what compassion is. Jesus had a feeling towards her of deep sympathy and sorrow for her who is suffering, and it is joined with a strong desire to remove the suffering. We saw in the previous story that Jesus healed someone at the point of death. But is death too much? So he came up 
to the point of death, and the slave was healed, and he was made well. But he can't do death. Somebody died, that's it. Right? And Jesus was the one who moves towards the woman. His compassion drove him to this woman crying. He saw her, knows what she is suffering from. Tells her, do not weep. Notice, the woman doesn't talk at all. She doesn't say, heal my dead son. She doesn't fall at his feet and cry out, Lord, you, if you had been here, my, my son would be alive. This was a funeral happening. They were at the end of it. She's just crying. But to hear his voice with compassion... I mean, the only way I think I can illustrate this, if, if, if I just uh, <laughs> took my keys and I did this, it's annoying. But it won't be annoying if you were stuck in a dungeon. And you had no way out and it was dark and then you started hearing the, <gasps> there's hope. Jesus coming to her with compassion, telling her, do not weep. I mean, it must have given her some, some sort of hope this last bit of something, some hope. Jesus, are you going to do something? Man. He was the one, he is, he is the only one with power to do something about this. For this bankrupt widow who has nothing, and she is at the very, def, she, she right now at this point is the very definition, poor. And you remember Jesus' sermon, blessed are the Poor. This is his sermon in action. Man. Verse 14. Oh, man. I'll drink some water. Verse 14. Look at this. Then he came up and touched the beer, and the bearer stood still. Stop right there. Jesus interrupts a funeral. He walks up, this casket, this, not this casket, it's like a stretcher, and the body is laying on it, that's what the beer is, and he touches that. The bear stops. Jesus is standing right there. Can you just picture that for a moment? Everybody is thinking, like, what is this guy doing right now? He's embarrassing. How much more pain does he want to cause this poor woman who's suffering? What are you doing? You're ruining this day. I want to, since we have a brief moment here in this story, I want to go back 900 years. Let's go all the way back 900 years ago. There's a prophet named Elijah, and a similar story happened with him. I want you to see this, though. A quick summary. Elijah was a prophet of God who has performed many miracles in his day. He is still considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. One of those miracles are really similar to ours today, and um, this is what happens. There was a son of a widow who died, and the woman told it to Elijah. Elijah asked for the son, and he took him to the room where he was staying at. And here's our uh, verse. There we go. Pay attention. He says, O oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the 
listen to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. Notice, how many times was Elijah praying to the Lord? And he was, um, and what did he do after the boy revived? He gave it to his mother. Okay, back to our story. This was written 900 years ago. This is when Elijah was around. They knew this story. Now we're back at this place. What does Jesus say to this, to this dead body? What does Jesus say? Young man, What? I say to you, arise. He's not pleading. He's not asking multiple times. He's not praying to the Lord. It was Jesus' own authority and power. And remember, Luke writes about Jesus. Remember, what does he refer to Jesus now at this point? Lord. Luke is using the same word he, that the Bible uses of the person Elijah was praying to. Lord, I say to you, arise, my authority. It would be really sad if the dead man stayed dead. It would be a joke, like, oh, wow, how embarrassing that was. No. When he, the dead man rose, and he began to speak. He was made alive. He was made alive. It says that fear seized them all in verse 16. I mean, if you could just imagine it. I mean, if you were a bear and you just saw the body move, I mean, drop it and run. What's going on? What's going on? Actually, before 16, I just want to, um, before uh, 16, I just wanted to see 15. The last couple words, what does it say? Jesus gave him to his mother. Same thing. Okay, just moving on now. Fear seized them all. It's a terrifying thing. They saw the Lord and his power and compassion, and, and it just it was a natural thing for them to just be shocked. They were gripped by fear and they glorified God. I'm sure if we were there, we would be having the same fear. This is terrifying. Who is this person that can make dead people get up? Jesus. So in our hearts today, though, how do we fear the Lord? Well, there's a reverence. He's set apart as holy. There's a, there's a love aspect to him as a, a child to a father. If you remember our psalm today, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And how, how do we glorify God in our hearts? I kind of I reduced this down to one question I think we could ask ourselves. Do we love the Lord Jesus? Do we love the Lord Jesus? Because if we do, we're going to be doing things that honor him and glorify him. So they named Jesus a great prophet. Let me just address this. They're right partially. They're right partially. 
to my Muslim friends, Jesus Christ is not a great prophet only. He is not just a mere prophet. My Jehovah Witness friends, he's not even the greatest angel ever created by which all creation was created because Jesus was created. Nope. My Mormon friends, he's not one of many gods who is a brother of the devil. He is not just a good teacher. He is not just a good man. He is God. That is his true nature. That is his true title. He is the Lord over life and death. Amen. And then they say, God has visited his people. But they were referring wrong. The, the, the words were true. Jesus was visiting his people. But they're, they're referring to something else. They're referring to, oh, God worked a great miracle today through Jesus. <laughs> That's not the case. It was God who visited his people. So now we saw Jesus' compassion. We saw his power in both stories. We saw that we should come to him with humble faith like the centurion. We saw that he has compassion on us. We saw that he has power over all of life and death. We saw that we ought to glorify him and honor him in our hearts by recognizing who he truly is. But these pictures, these stories are pointing to one great story. These two incredible events were teaching us that Jesus is the Lord who is powerful and compassionate. So even though he doesn't heal everyone all the time when we ask him to, Lord, heal. We should be praying for people to heal. But he doesn't heal all the time. Or he doesn't uh, raise the dead all the time. But these events were written so that we can have a picture of what's to come. Something is coming. Through the, through the, through the cross... We're going to see the greatest act of compassion and power. How does that happen? How does the cross show his passion and his compassion and power? In light of our sin and evil, what do we look like before God? Aren't we the sick slave, paralyzed, can't do anything? God tells us to do something, we can't do it. Isn't it like that with all our sin and evil? Even more, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. If God was a good judge, he cannot forgive us because we've sinned, we've hurt him. It says that God is holy, he cannot look on sin. He could have left us, but he doesn't. He had compassion on us. We were paralyzed. We were dead. We couldn't come to him. But he came to us. He came to us. So here's the compassion. He saw our condition. It was horrific. That if we were left in that state, I mean, we would die because the wages of sin is death. And this is what he did for us. He lived a perfect life. Jesus lived a perfect life in complete obedience to the Father like a, like a soldier does for a centurion. Every order is accomplished. Then he goes to the judgment room of God 
but he has a different record. He has our record. All of the evil and sin that we have committed that would, would cause God to condemn us for all of eternity was given to Jesus. So when we stand before God, we are giving this righteousness credited, given to us, to our account. And all our sin and all our evil was given to Jesus, all of it. So this is compassion. And he died on the cross for our sins. He paid for it. He paid for it on the cross. And then here's the power. He rose from the dead. He really rose from the dead. And here's, here, here's the picture. Not only did he rise from the dead, and he raises some people from the dead in these stories, one day he's going to raise up everybody. Everybody is going to rise from the dead. To those who are in Christ, they're going to be taken to heaven. And those who are outside of him, well, it's hell. But he has compassion on us. So what I'm pleading with is come to him. Come to him. Be humble. He's going to have compassion on you. He's going to show his power in your life. Um, So with humble faith... He will have compassion on us, and let's glorify him from our hearts and our mouths. Let us really think about this gospel, this good news that Jesus gave to us. He won for us. Once we, once we really consider that, I mean, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to you wanna go tell people, hey, come to Jesus. You'll be forgiven of all your sin. All of it will be forgiven. You would have a, a resurrected life. You will be born again. Oh, so, so, so compassionate, so powerful is our Lord. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.